New word from the nation's top scientists on the zombie virus that appeared just two weeks ago. They released information saying that the symptoms to watch for are aggression, foaming from the mouth, deterioration of motor skills, and an unbelievable hunger. Be advised that if an infected becomes hostile, the only way to harm them is to shoot them in the head. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Retrogasmic Podcast. I'm Dee Dee Deluxe. And I'm Hetty LeBomb. Welcome back. Today's show, we've got some great stuff. We have got our great friends, the Recliner Rockers, on. Oh. Now, if uh, if you ever wake up one evening and think, hmm, I want to go out and see a band that are going to entertain me, then top of your list are the Recliner Definitely. Rockers. Uh, they, apart from being great guys and, and great musicians, they play a mixture of really good covers and a lot of their own stuff, but they are up there with the best entertainers in New Zealand for sure. They yes. really, really give it their all. It's a real show. It's fantastic. So we'll be talking to them. I'm sure that will be fascinating. We have a rare blues track, Mind Reader Blues. Oh, Vintage Triv, you're going to do that today, aren't you? Yes, I've got a question. Go on, far away. Let's do it now. Okay. What is an octobase? An octobase. O-C-T-O base, B-A-S-S. I reckon, I reckon it's the octopus that plays the bass in SpongeBob's band, the Bikini Bottom Boogie Boys. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> no I mean, that makes sense even if it's not true if you were an octopus and you were playing double bass you can do all sorts of stuff you've got eight hands effectively and that must be it no uh it's not i'm afraid okay You'll all right to wait to hear the answer just a minute ladies and gentlemen i think something is happening <laughs> So today's rare blues song is by Bertha Lee and Charlie Patton. It's called Mind Reader Blues and it was recorded in 1934. Uh, Bertha Lee was Charlie Patton's last wife. He had quite a few and she had a reputation as being a fine blues singer in her own right. Um, by all accounts she probably had plenty of reasons to sing the blues. She was only married to Patton for about four years. Uh, and by all accounts, he didn't treat her particularly well. Uh, well-known Delta bluesman Honeyboy Edwards said that Charlie always had a lot of women and men didn't like him much because all the women were fools over him. And the great Howling Wolf once referred to Patton as a great, great drinker. Uh, Patton had his throat cut quite badly during a, a drunken knife fight in a bar, um, so some of the later se sessions of his career, he, he doesn't have the same vocal power. The Patton's recorded about a dozen songs together, nine of Charlie's and three of Bertha's. He died two or three months after the, the final recording session in New York. Apparently Patton did record a couple of dozen songs uh, in New York previously, but for some reason most of them were uh, destroyed somehow, so only about ten were ever released. So have a listen to this. This is fantastic. This is Mind Reader Blues from 1934. <laughs> 
studio today we've got uh, Al Lavis and Steve Rooney from the Recliner Rockers. Hi boys. Hey Doggett, how are you? Hello. Hello. Thanks for coming in. Oh, we'll start with the obvious question. How did the band first get together? Jeff Fitzpatrick, who unfortunately couldn't make it in today, um, who's our bass player, extraordinaire. Uh, he of the dreadlocked coiffure. Yeah, and the climbing all over his... Yeah, uh, quite an acrobat. He and I were, um, well, strangely enough, I met him when I was playing in bands myself, and he would come on and see my band play. Oh, cool. I had a band called uh, the Sly Groovers, and he would turn up, and at that stage, he had a very prominent um, mohawk. Oh, really? He's always uh, been a little different. So he's gone from a mohawk to the dreads? <clears throat> yeah, and, he, and at that stage, he was playing in a covers band. Prior to that, he was playing in a, a punk band. And um, I think called the Sonic Twisters, but we had some mutual friends, and he'd drop into a shop that I worked at. And um, further down the line, we we got into a band backing a female vocalist friend of ours. It was a um, glam rock band. Oh, fantastic! So it was a lot of fun, but uh, the sight of me in lycra tights wasn't very 
I've got a vision now of you playing Ballroom Blitz. Yeah, though we did we did Ballroom of Blitz. Course. Yeah, yeah, we did uh, Sweet and T Rex and things like that. It was a bit of fun. I just I like I enjoyed that music. Fantastic. So that's where we started, and then after uh, playing gigs and things, we'd start talking about uh, what we really liked, and it came up that we both had a mutual sort of uh, love for rockabilly mm-hmm. um, and uh, roots music generally, you know. But that's what uh, got us together. So we, we sort of formed the Recliner Rockers. And uh, went from there. We started doing originals from the start, and the first sort of biggish gig would would have been the Beach Hop. Yeah, and it all sprang from that. So you guys so. have been playing the Beach Hop for what, twelve, thirteen years? Probably thirteen now. Yeah, sort of on the trot. Probably the second uh, longest serving band, I think. For, for sure. I think uh, there's someone else that's been playing a little longer, but. Um. So there's something I want to uh, I want to kind of uh, bring to the fore because I think a lot of people are aware of you guys. I mean, you've done so many shows in the last decade or so that um, most Kiwis that go to live gigs will have seen you at some point. But I think something that a lot of people don't realise is that um, your music that you play, most of it, or say 50% of it in your set, is original music. It's your songs. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to phrase this. How do you... um... Get away with it. No, no. (laughs) No, no, I mean... I think people don't realise that they're not just old school covers, so which is a testament to our songwriting and you guys, you know, your your performance. But does that also have a downside in it? You kind of think, you, you know, do you want to kind of scream out, "These are our songs. This is ours." Um, well, it's gratifying. What the most gratifying part is that people, strange enough, will be doing a cover song and and people are apathetic. We'll do one of ours and they get up and dance. For sure. And that's extremely <laughs> rewarding because the last thing we wanted to do was play songs just for the sake of them. You see bands doing covers. Yeah. And they're there just to make up the numbers and they're not working. So we decided from the start, we'll play songs. If people are responding to them, we'll keep doing them. If they don't, they're out, you know. And we've just been fortunate in that people respond to our songs. Um, and we still, yeah, you're right, we still get we, people come up and say, um, you know, who did that song and where's that from? Well, it's ours, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we still, people are still ignorant of the fact that a lot of the stuff we do is, is original. So, so I think what we'll do is um, we'll play um, uh, something off your last record, which came out three or four years ago. That's right. Um, let's play a song called Heard It On The Radio. Now, uh, um, is there a bit of a backstory to this? Um, like most of my songs, it, it probably comes originally from a riff or a melody that might occur to me, you know, sitting there, sort of thinking about something else or just sitting playing guitar and something will go past. I think that's interesting. That's yeah flesh that out noodling yeah yeah but um so the riff was there it's a fairly sort of uh prominent riff and from that i developed the idea that uh going back to when i was a kid listening to the radio and some of the songs that struck me there were things like blue suede shoes and um some of the early elvis stuff you know when i was a kid just lying on the floor playing and these things came on the radio and got my attention so yeah it's it's definitely got that late 50s kind of early 60s kind of uh um, feel to it for sure. This is Heard It On The Radio.
So, Steve, um, how long have you been with uh, Recliners? I think it's getting on for about four years. Yeah, I think I've been in New Zealand about five years and I started to do like the odd uh, dep after I'd been here about a year. So, yeah, something like four Cause years. Because you're originally from the north of England. Yeah, I'm from the north, but lived in London a long time as well. So, from everywhere and nowhere these days, really. All right. Now, I hope you don't mind. I'm um, just going to. Uh, quiz you a bit about your your murky past because you, you've played some pretty good gigs and you've played with some interesting people. Yeah, I was uh, back in England. I was I was in bands as a teenager and then bands that started to tour and travel, you know, internationally and supporting other bands and doing international sort of festivals and stuff. So you, you've played Glastonbury, haven't you? I've played Glastonbury and yeah, and some of those like big folk festivals like Trafalgar Square yep. Folk Festival and. Things like Latitude and uh, you know some of those big get-togethers and Jules Holland and um, yeah, I played with a few quite well-known people back there. Tell uh, us the uh, <laughs> tell us the story about um, going to the states and uh, ending up working on a project produced by Noel Rogers. Uh, that yeah. sounds surreal. <laughs> That's a strange thing. I used to know this guy, this drummer, and uh, his name was Andy. He was in a band called Echo Belly, who were you yep. know they did quite well in the nineties. Yep. Uh, and Andy had been asked by this girl that he knew, Anushka, to play drums. And Andy had just become a dad. And he was like, and at the time I thought, why would you pass this up? And now that I'm a dad, I, so I totally get why he passed For it sure. up. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. a really you know, tough gig, <laughs> toughest gig of your life. So Andy couldn't do the gig. And he said, do you want to, you know, see if you go along, see if you like her and like the music. So I went along and uh, it was great. It was like really good pop rock and great tunes. And she was really feisty and dynamic and stuff and then so I started to play with Anushka and we did a few gigs and she was in with that whole Don Letts sort of West London crowd yeah and then we got the chance to go on a, a Channel 4 TV show where they took a bunch of young hopefuls to Hollywood so 
we were playing all these little backstreet dives in West London. Next thing we know, we're living in a, a mansion in the hills with a pool, you know, overlooking the sign and everything, the Hollywood sign. Um, <laughs> so we were out there for a week. We did that thing for Channel 4. It was called California Dreaming. Uh, and then we came back. And meanwhile, Anushka had been chatting up Nile Rogers at a Duran Duran gig. Like you do. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, you just walk up to Nile Rogers and say, hey, Nile, <laughs> yeah, can you do our album? So um, she actually got the opportunity to go out there and start to work on the songs. So we went out there, I think I spent, we lived on Doheny. I lived behind the Osbournes for about six weeks. That must have been interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I was waiting for that Frisbee coming over the back fence. It never (laughs) never did come over. Uh, So yeah, we lived out there sort of on assignment kind of thing. Um, And we did probably six months of rehearsals. Started to track the album and everything. Um, And she... She then started to move into TV work, so that album actually never saw the light of day. It was, oh. all, yeah, <laughs> it was a strange gig, really. What a shame. We just had so much fun doing it, and then the album actually never came out. So, but, uh, It was fun hanging out in L.A. and you know, doing the whole, the whole sessioning thing out yeah, there. Yeah, I good. bet. So yeah. oh, we're going to play another song uh, off the last album now. Just mention you guys are currently working on a, on a new record, is that right? Yeah, that's right. We've got songs written we did make a tentative start uh and recorded five songs but weren't happy with the results so we shelved those uh so we're going to start again and we've sort of got 14 tracks which will probably whittle down a little bit um they're ready to go we're just waiting for some benevolent uh, sponsor to come along and wave money at us and say for sure go <laughs> ahead boys and do it and we're looking forward to hearing that okay so this next song is called cry baby this one's got a real kind of 50s retro-y ballad vibe to it it's a simple song it's uh, just acoustic guitar bass and drums one harmony vocal and there's a sort of an electric solo in the middle sort of a played on a gretch to give it the requisite yeah. twang yeah authentic but, uh, yeah it's a, it's a fairly simple song it's, strangely enough there's a there's a band around town that uh, is playing it um I'll oh, put it in their scent. They've got it in their scent. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Jeff, Jeff saw them uh, once. He was out with his, his family at a field day or something, and there was a band playing it. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. Heard, heard them playing it. Oh, well, that's a... And the guy came in and asked, he yeah. did, he t- asked me if he could play oh, it. Oh, it's a real compliment. Okay, well, let's hear it. This is Cry Baby. Yeah. 
To play a Swiss Swiss National Day okay. gig, and we were at that stage of a bluesy sort of band. Was this in Auckland? This is in Auckland. This is in Ponsonby yep. in a hall. They'd hired a hall in Ponsonby, and we were setting up and doing a sound check. And uh, this gentleman in shorts and lederhosen came racing from the back of the hall, and said, "Down by half! It's too loud! Down by half!" Right. <laughs> so before we'd even started, we had to turn down. And in the course of the evening, everyone would be up dancing, and he, him and his cohorts would come racing from down by half, it's too loud, too loud, we must not play so loud. <laughs> and then we'd turn it down and everyone would sit down. Yeah. So most people would be sensitive to that situation, but they weren't. But the upshot of it was, after being told to turn down all night, at midnight they got out their alpine horns. And they played, and it's the loudest thing I've ever heard. It must have, <laughs> must have terrified the whole neighbourhood. <laughs> So you were you were blown off. Yeah. By, uh, by, yeah. So I was tempted to run up to them as they were playing, going down by half, <laughs> down by half. <laughs> it's probably the worst gig we've done. Ah, fantastic, fantastic. Come on, Steve. You must have a the worst gig I've ever done. Or, or you know, wow, that's I mean, tough. It depends. Depends on the reasons for it being the worst gig you've ever done. Like zero attendance. They're always fun. Uh, oh yeah, I know. I, the worst gig I've ever done. The most grinding gig I've ever done in my life. When I was a kid, eighteen, sort of nineteen, yeah, maybe even younger, seventeen, eighteen. Wow. I used to regularly do these uh, American air bases, and you know the ones the, in England. The GI bases. Yeah, I've played a few of those. Live on the other side. Very well, pa- very well paid, out. but sometimes, yeah. 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 I feel your well, <laughs> We used to play this one. It was a RAF uh, or USAAF uh, Lakenheath, I think it is, or Mildenhall or somewhere like that. Might be Mildenhall. And this was the biggest room on any of those bases. It was massive. It was like an, it was literally like an aircraft hangar. And we were under contract um, and we had to play for four hours, like over the course of the night, four hours. Well, when we went on, there was nobody in the building at all, literally nobody. And then we played to one man, and literally the actual, the cliche dog, he had his dog in there. No. And then we had to, I think we must have been on for, by, this time, by about two hours. We'd been on for two hours. Yep. And he was still the only guy in there. And then the dog left, so then that was just him. <laughs> and we had to grind on for another two hours to an empty aircraft, because he left as well. Two hours in an empty aircraft hangar. Uh, uh, that's probably the worst, the least oh, attended gig I've ever done in my whole life. Wow. But uh, actually really well paid as well. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah, know, no, so why wouldn't you keep going, yeah. I guess, at the end of the day? No, I, I, I can remember bands in the UK that specialised in doing those GI, GI bases. Yeah. and they were, yeah. they were lucrative. Yeah. They were good. Yeah. And if you, if you wanted good, like, cheap American junk food, yeah. that was the place do to you rem- get it. Do you remember the husband and wife... Um, kind of comedy team the crankies 
Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah, yeah. Jeanette and Ian. That's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really embarrassing that I know their first name. Yeah, well done. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. I always thought it was weird that she sat on his knee. Yeah, you know, well, they were married, weren't they? Yeah, that's yeah. what's weird. She yeah. dressed, he dressed her as a schoolboy yeah. and sat her on his knee. Yeah, well, they used to do a like a, a show, which would, um, we'd had a, a band with them, and they would sing some kind of like popular classics and stuff like that. And my mate was in, 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 a, in the band and toured them. And... Uh, yeah, sometimes they would literally end up doing, as you said, a show to an empty room. Absolutely empty. So they would room, do yeah. all the material they would do for the, the adult clubs because there was no one there to hear it. Yeah. So you can imagine the, the Crankies doing it. <laughs> I don't really want to imagine no, the Crankies. Unfortunately, that. this is mainly going out to a New Zealand audience and they're yeah. going, who are the Crankies? People, Google the Crankies. Yeah, you've you got to do it. You owe that to yourself yeah. to figure out who yeah. they are. You need enlightenment. It's terrifying. Well, look, guys, thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate it. Good luck with the new album and we'll definitely get you back when you've got to get that ready to drop. Well, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having to us. It. Thank you. When the moon is full, dogs are gonna have When the moon is full, the dogs are gonna have Watch out girl, his cat is on the prowl I caught you girl, I just can't get away I caught you girl, I just can't get away this cat is gonna play When we touch the sparks are gonna fly when we touch the sparks and go fly When we kiss there'll be rockets in the sky
Okay, time for the vintage trivia answer. What is an octo bass? The octo bass is one of the largest string instruments ever produced. It's basically a giant double bass. Um, it has the same proportions as the violin, but it's uh, 3.5 meters or 12 feet 12, tall. 12 feet. Yes, it's very large. Um, the reason for this is because the violin and the cello are basically both perfectly proportioned for the um, the sound they produce to resonate um, as as well as they can. And oh. the, um, but unfortunately, the the viola and the double bass uh, is it had to be designed differently for playability. So it's not as optimal ah, so in to, terms of sound So to scale production. it up, so it yes. resonated the So that same. was the idea ah. behind the octo bass. It wasn't just a mad idea. There was actually a reason for it. Yes, so it, it needs two musicians to play it because it's so big. Two? Yeah. Yes, one, one to uh, bow it at the bottom and another one uh, operating a series of levers to um, actually change the pitch because oh, you couldn't actually physically That was going to be my next question because the strings would be so heavy to you wouldn't be able to press down on them, would yes, you? Yes, yes. So it's really only designed for the low sustained notes. You couldn't really play anything... Um, like a solo or anything. No, like it would be very hard. So the, the guy at the top that's doing the, um, the the note changing, as it were, would he be on the ladder? He'd have to be. Yes, yes. The the, the whole thing is kind of in a, a scaffold because you couldn't really you couldn't really hold it up. It's that's, very big. It must be really loud as well. It must really, really resonate. It must be. Yes, well, that's the idea. It can, yeah. in fact, produce notes that are below the normal human range of hearing but you can still feel them and hear some of the overtones so it's it would be a very interesting experience i've never heard it myself like sub bass kind of thing wow. but yes so um yes uh, there are only seven produced in the world um and the uh the montreal symphony orchestra has one apparently I'd, I'd just love to see that being played uh look it up on youtube there's videos really yeah Oh, cool. I'm going to be doing that this afternoon. Ah, retrogasmic. So sadly, we come to the end of another show. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. We just hit a big 500 on Facebook. That was great. We really appreciate you following. The podcast is still free. Lots of podcasts charge. We do not charge. Please, if you have a listen, share it. Give us a review. Anything like that. It all helps us. We really, really appreciate it. We will see you on the next show. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.